So we're, we're continuing our Kingdom Family Series, and today we're talking about building families from the Word. Hopefully you got an outline when you came in, and uh, so we can follow along on that together. But grateful you're here. And so, just so you know, parenting isn't easy. <laughs> Maybe some of you guys know that. And I think prayer is a necessary part of it. And I, here, here's a prayer I think we all can relate to, so listen up. It says this, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray for my sanity to keep. For if some peace I do not find, I'm pretty sure I'll lose my mind. I'm pretty sure I pray I find a little quiet, far from the daily family riot. May I lie back down and not have to think about what they're stuffing down the sink. Or who they're with or where they're at and what they are doing to the cat. I pray for some time to myself. Did something just fall off a shelf? To cuddle in my nice soft bed? Oh no, not another goldfish dead. Some silent moments for goodness sake. Did I just hear a window break? Or that I need not cook or clean? Oh well, I've got the right to dream. Yes, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my wits about me keep. But as I look around, I know I must have lost them long ago. If you're a parent, you probably can relate to this in some way. And uh, if you've been a parent or you're a grandparent, you probably can still relate to it, right? Sometimes it's not easy. Things don't turn out like they should. And uh, throughout our lives, uh, our families, definitely things turn out, things go bad, but God is good. And today we're going to be talking about Deuteronomy 6. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. It's a command that... uh, Moses gave the Israelite families, and guess what? It's a command that he gave us as well. It's something we can pick up on and build on because families are put on earth for a reason, and that reason is to build worshipers. Because here's the thing, worship, we're, all supposed, we're all created to worship. God created us to worship him. Adam and Eve were created to worship him in a perfect environment, weren't they? And guess what? Worshipers will worship what they're taught to worship. So let me ask you, what are we actually teaching our families and our kids to worship? And there's lots of things to buy for our attention out there, but what we truly, what we try to hone in, hone in on here is what is said for us and what the roles look like. So parents, we have a responsibility to raise up generations that honor the Lord and worship God alone and His Word. So what kind of godly legacy are you actually leaving? I think we can find proof of what it looks like right here in this text. And I think we have a wonderful pattern here in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And, but... What we need to realize is that being a parent is never easy, and God never said it would be. He's given us definite direction on how to raise kingdom families, and we've spoken about this a couple for three weeks now, so the last series in this. We're going to start Luke uh, the following week, so get your sermon guides out there if you need to get that. But I do believe here we have a pattern that speaks to the whole matter of training and raising kids. And this passage here is in the midst of Moses' great message to the second generation of Israelites. In the wilderness as they are about to enter the land of Canaan. He's telling them how to live successfully in the land of promise to which God has brought them to. And what we plant in the hearts of our kids will leave a mark on them and also leave a mark on us. And the command here is exactly that. If we implant God's word and let it filter all the mess as the world throws at them, they will be successful. It's almost like a good cup of coffee. Just this morning, I had a good cup of coffee. Pastor Vaughn made us a French press. I drink good coffee. In a French press, you grind up the beans, 
I get whole bean coffee. It's Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, we ground the beans this morning, kind of coarsely ground, because you get better flavor from the coarsely ground beans when you French press it. You heat the water up real hot, you put it in this little tub, little French press, if you've ever seen one, and then you pour water in, and you let it set for five minutes. And then what do you do? After the five minutes, all the good stuff, the good natural flavors of the coffee, get out. You press this little thing down. It's a little screen all the way down it, to the bottom of the little container, and all the good coffee comes up. And guess what? You get all the natural flavors. To me, it's one of the best ways to drink coffee. And you get all these natural things. What, it's the way God intended the beans to be used. Not put all this nasty stuff in it, by the way. Un, undefiled coffee, right? That's what we need to drink, undefiled, right? I'm just kidding. But you get all these natural flavors you wouldn't get otherwise because it's not filtered through everything. Does that make sense? And that's the same thing God's given us with his word here. Filter everything through it because you, you get naturally what we're supposed to get. And then we can see the drinking, how great it is, right? So how do we do this? How do we do this? It's not easy. He's brought us what? Out of this land. I think we get some pretty good, <laughs> pretty good things. We can be so concerned about lots of things that we miss. Maybe we miss some of our roles that we're supposed to be diving into. Because there's good things like sports and sign them up for band and sign them up for dance. And that is not a bad thing. But sometimes, parents, I think we neglect spiritually what God has called us to be. We tend to become alarmed if grades struggle. And maybe if they don't get to play in the game. But when it comes to consuming and learning the word of God and his design, I'm afraid we just don't buy the eye sometimes. So what do we do? How do we do this? I, I think we get instructions on how to do it. And it's clear here in verse 7 and throughout these verses. Because here it is, we all live in a world of specialists. All aspects of our culture seem to just all be about specialists. When it comes to impressing God's design on our kids, it's for us to pour his word into their lives. It doesn't take a seminary degree or a specialist. It takes a believer that's a parent. And using the Holy Spirit that resides in them to train their kids as outlined here. Know this, parents, that God is working in your kids' lives as we speak. His grace is working to convict and point out how he's working. So, parents, if you're talking about your sports teams and your hobbies and your friends and all the things you talk about with your kids, and my kids, especially they, at night, we're going to talk about some of that when you lie down, they like to hear a daddy's story. Right? They like to hear daddy's stories. But I always point them, guess what, I tell them a daddy's story, but sometimes I just forget myself about, what God's done for me that day. But here's the thing. It has to be part of the conversations you have with your kids. It has to be. It has to be. Just this week, Raleigh and I have been hunting a couple of times. And we got to go to the Waffle House one time as well. We get to have one-on-one time. With a family of four, we don't get to have that much. He's my oldest. But while we're there, guess what? I ask him some hard questions. I also share the gospel with him. Why? Because I only become a Christian. We talk about the gospel, we talk about creation. What better way to talk about creation and the gospel when you're singing and enjoying it? We talk about the Bible, we talk about what it takes to become a Christian. Because here it is, Moses is telling us that these commandments matter and we must pass them on to our children. So I have this interesting thing that I have, it's going to be a picture of it on the screen as well. This is something I received throughout my family. You can see it up there, I'm going to read, try to read it to you the best I can. It says, Bible House Baltimore, you can see it there. 1863, 
from the Maryland State Bible Society to David Blue. David Blue was my great, great, great grandpa. Soldier in camp something, uh, Confederate Army something. He got, he got captured, and they gave him this when they gave him a Bible. And he says, should I die on the battlefield or in the hospital for the sake of humanity? A quaint, where he's from, Bun County in North Carolina, and the fact where my range will be found. So this was given, there was a Bible given to my great-great-grandpa when he was captured by the Yankees in the Civil War. And this is something that resides, you know, paper like this doesn't reside for long. But he received a Bible, and he was, they filled this out. It's interesting that it's still sitting in my hand because you can think about how old this piece of paper is. But he received a Bible that he was reading and studying, and it's just interesting because the word gets passed down, doesn't it? The word that you read, the Bible gets passed down through generations, through stories, and also through God's stories. It's interesting that I own this because I don't, uh, I know he survived the war and came home. That's about all I know. And if you've ever been to Catalucci Mountain, Catalucci, North Carolina, he's buried up there on the mountain in Catalucci, North Carolina. So, interesting take, but he received the Bible and the word, and this legacy was passed on, guess what, to me. This legacy of him getting the Bible. And I think it's very apparent that that's what, God, that's what Moses has intended in this text, in this version. So with that, i got a special guest that's going to read the text for us, so look at the screen behind me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, is, the, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them of them when you sit down house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So it's pretty interesting that the, it's passed down through generations. So the Puritans took this text very seriously, the Puritans. Thank you, Raleigh, for that. The Puritans took this to heart on the family instruction found here. So much that they would say that every home is a little church. They believe the father should be the pastor of his home, in the same way that ordained ministers pastor the church. One writer called the home the seminary of the church. The Puritans went so far as to publish elaborate directories about family worship. You can find some of those online. It's pretty interesting. But they're also so serious about this that if the father neglected the spiritual training of his own children, he could be brought before the elders for church discipline. And if he refused to take on the, his proper leadership role, he could be disbarred from the Lord's table. And such a thought seemed extreme to us which perhaps say more about how lax we've become as it does about the strictness of the Puritans. But that leads us to our first point there. You have an outline, it's this, that families let the word impact them. So this word that was passed down to my great-great-grandfather, passed down to my son, gets passed down to, throughout the generations, right? 
So we should raise kids that just do that, impact the world. And I know we're trying to do that. I believe in the next generation. I wouldn't be trying to lead them and push them forward in every way possible if I didn't believe in them. And I hope you do as well because we're supposed to be raising and sending them out to do things for the kingdom of God. And there's nothing more that I want to do is mobilize your own kids to be on mission and be who God's called them to be. Some of the things I asked Raleigh, it's not that if God's going to use you, what do you think God's going to do with you? Because he's going to do something. Matthew 22, Jesus talks about this command we just talked about. And he says what? And he said to him, you shall love the, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus just quotes and declares this to be the greatest commandment. Right? And guess what? We should be doing that as well. Parents, we pour our faith into our kids. And what you're faithful about is what they'll be faithful about. And guess what? Kids are challenged so much more today than they were just in the 20, 21 years I've been out of high school. It's a different world. And technology's changed that. And for the most part, not in a good way. 60% of high school graduates are losing their faith after high school. That, that just can't be, church. We must all do a better job, me included. It used to be, and like some of you know, maybe that's, maybe that's your story, they would come back to church when they started having kids and would bring their kids to church. And guys, that's a way for us to get involved in children's ministries. Some of those people that you know, they're coming back, come and volunteer. We need you to do some things. I want to start back this week. We still always need volunteers to do things. Plug people in. Get them back in here. God needs to use them for his kingdom and his glory, and they just don't know what their role is. Bring them back. Because here's the thing, that doesn't happen as much as it used to. So what happened? How, how can we, is it, who, whose fault is it? I, I think, what's the, what's the change? Why is this crisis in families? I, and honestly, church, I, I think we've missed it. We missed it as a church as a whole. We've not trained anyone up. We've taught people to come and be good church members, but not disciples. We haven't trained anyone, and especially families, uh, to understand the roles as God designed them to be. And I'm afraid that this indifference is going to cause some people to miss heaven by 18 inches. They say 18 inches is between your heart and your head. It scares me. Who you serve and what you serve shows to the world around them. So what should we do? Just take the word of God and be good stewards of it. And here's the thing. If you're not a good steward of it, you can't be good stewards of it as you filter it to your kids. So we have to fall in love with it again. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Do that. Because it's the truth that we have. Every opportunity to go to God in his word. What's the text say? Look there, it says, Hear, O Israel, Lord your God is one. You shall love the God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Pretty clear there, right? But look, look at, the, look, look at how. I should teach these commands. You shall be on your heart. So if it's on your heart, you should do what? Teach them diligently to your children. Talk to, them while you, talk to them while you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. So when's, when are you usually sitting down together? For us and our family of four, it's usually at the dinner table. So when we're sitting there, we, we try to bless our food, we try to talk about our day, and then afterwards, I try my best to get a little Bible story reading and going. And guess what? Sometimes that's hard. We also pass out melatonin at that point because we want to make sure everybody goes to sleep. 
Okay? Melatonin is a godsend, if you didn't know, I promise. But until that moment, we've been, they've been, it's been chaos all day. It's wide open until they sit down. Right? And we try to do this. We try. Okay? Read your Bible to your kids. Be stewards, be good stewards, right? Pray with your kids. Maybe sing a song of praise. Because I do know that family worship is key to building a healthy family that exalts the gospel. But lots of us say, but wait, I can't do it. I just don't know enough. Well, guess what? I don't know enough either, but guess who does? God does. We have his word. Let's dive in there. And guess what? We aren't supposed to know it all. Tell them you don't know it all, but you know that Jesus does know it all. What do we want? What do you want? What do you want your legacy on earth to be? Parents? I mean, really, what do you want it to be? Like, so for me, I wanted it to be this right here. Moses passes this down to the generations, and guess what? We want, I want to pass it down to my own kids. This is a big deal. Pass it down. Home should be a place of worship. No matter how chaotic, chaotic it might be. So don't be so busy that you ignore, ignore some of your main responsibilities that God has given you. We can all fall victim of this. It's not. And guess what? Family life is much different now. There's a lot more stuff going on. I, I can't remember ever more stuff going on in a teenager's life than right now. The things you can be involved in, the things you can do. I don't think my life was that busy, and I think it was a good thing for me. Not that all business is bad, don't get me wrong. It's just there's so much more stuff to be in. We have all these different sporting activities. I'm just afraid we, sometimes we miss what God has even in those activities. Families seem to be unraveling. It seems like our own culture is against what God designed a family to be. Life just zooms by, and I know it does. It's hard to believe that the last 10 years, me and my wife have been married, and what God has done in those last 10 years, but also what maybe I've missed. Life zooms by in the last year with the COVID pandemic. I mean, I don't remember much about it. My Caroline was born. We have to make sure we use the time that we have to influence them to impact the nations and the gospel. We take his word. <laughs> Back to his word. It says walking along together. Because I know families like to do things together. And that's not a bad thing. But while we're doing these things together, no matter if it's riding in the car, if it's walking, uh, hiking outside, take time to talk about gospel things. Like my kids are absorbed with nature. They love it. I love nature too, so I don't, it's okay with me. We're walking anywhere. They look at stuff. Look at that. They look at that spider. Look at that leaf. Look at, like they're, they're absorbed with it. And guess what? It's a perfect avenue to take the gospel, to share the gospel and how God designed things. What about when we lie down together? The text says lie down together. What happens when we lie down together? Usually, usually people pray, right? Pray for your kids, right? What else do we do? Well, at my house, they usually want a story. I just said that. But I, want, I want to pray for them, and I pray the gospel over them, and I, and I pray all this, and I also want them to pray, knowing that they have access to this God too, right? And what else does it say? Get up together. <laughs> we have a... We have a Child in our household that likes to get up between 5 and 5.30 every single morning, no matter what time he goes to sleep. And also, now that we have a dog, I have to get up and let the dog out. So guess I get up, okay? And this child, he gets up. He gets up and as soon as he gets up, Daddy, I want waffles. Daddy, I want milk. And I want yogurt. I mean, it's just, 
So I get up with him early because if I don't, they'll eat every popsicle and Debbie cake that we have in the house in that morning. But while I'm up with them and serving them, well, guess what we, I try to do? Riley usually gets up a little bit later. He's usually up too because Connor will wake up everybody. Because his door's closed. He'll wake up all his brothers. Okay? It's just how he rolls. And uh, they're usually up and Riley has a new Bible. And guess what Riley and I try to do? We try to read our Bible. He usually reads the text. Like he read up there. We read it a couple times this week. I said, hey, why don't you just record it? I want to get him up here live. He wouldn't do it live, but he would do it on recording. But anyway. But so we get up and try to read the, the Word together. Because I, I, I start my day like that. Even though I'm looking on my phone, I'm still reading the Word. Reading, I get uh, my from my highest sent to my email. Oswald Chambers, just a great way just to get focused. That's what he's talking about in this text. Let everything that you do impact the, the gospel. Right? The Word impacts it all. So we always go there. That's what you do, families. You go to the Word. Let it impact you. The next point there. Families also let the Word impact your context. Verse 9 there extends beyond just your home, your context. Because here's the thing. I've told you guys this many times. I think we just miss it. Where God has you right now is not by happenstance. The teams you play on, the teams you serve on, where you go, what you do, the restaurants you eat at, the people maybe work for you or you work for. There's people there that you can love on and push towards the gospel. But also your home. Invite them in. Right? Be good, just be good neighbors. It says that. This is not a fortress mentality here. God wants to use your home for the purposes of the gospel. Well, I can tell you this. I've had the opportunity to share the gospel many times around my dinner table. What a glorious thing that is to do that in the context of my old house. Right? Because God gave you your current context. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. Use it for the sake of the gospel. But let me ask you about your context. Does it actually reflect him and his word? Do the things you do reflect that? Because here's the thing. You can't hide behind the walls of your house. You like to think you can. God sees all. And one day, who you are in the dark will come out in the light. And that's time just detrimental to the gospel when that happens. Be who you say you are. That's how we reach the next generation. Because they see through a lot of that mess, I can tell you. Let me ask you about your own home. Does it reflect him? Not how many Bible verses you have hang on the wall, but that you might have bought at Hobby Lobby. But does it, like the text says, is it apparent by the life that you live, is it on your door and on your gates that that's what you're about? Because this reference here is dealing with Jewish homes, but guess what? It's for us, too, that this symbolic gesture here in the text refers to the mezuzah, which is a Hebrew word for doorpost, which usually would have been a small box attached at a Jewish home which like the telephone on the forehead, holds parchments of paper, scripture. And it was served as a reminder of the occupants as well as those around that when you come to this home, this house was under the divine king. So is your house under the divine king? What would, do people feel like that when they walk in? Because again, you can't hide things. It's just not the case. And if you're passionate about this, people will know how they come to your house and how you're served. But people just want to come. But also, the gospel will be more apparent in word and deed. Because again, all those Bible verses that adorn your walls, the scripture you say you believe, mean nothing if you don't live and operate your household to reflect so. 
In doing this, you do a disservice to the gospel and for the kingdom causes. And guys, we need to be aware of this because we don't need to do any harm to the gospel. The gospel is offensive enough. We, we, we need to be aware that we can push families and people away by being, not being good stewards of what God's given us. So please let the word impact your context and let your family impact that. And let the gospel go forward. The next one there. Families that let the word impact your neighborhood. So what does your neighborhood look like? I think mine looks pretty normal for Georgia. Do your neighbors actually know you? Not that they just know who you are. Do they actually know you? It's interesting. Listen, I just, she mentioned this this morning. It made me think about it. Uh, when we lived in Bonifay, when I first moved to Bonifay, we rented a house on the street. And truly, the people that lived on that street thought that the road was going to be more blessed because I moved there. Boy, that sure wasn't the case. But beside the point is that it's just a misconstrue of what God actually is and what God's doing, right? I just didn't understand. Because my family gets saved by the same grace that your family gets saved by. The God that I serve is the God you should be serving. Just because I moved there really doesn't mean anything. It's going to be a lot louder because my kids are loud, but besides that, that's just not. But my question is, do your neighbors know you? Not do they know you, but do they really know you? Are you making an impact right there? Because if you're not, I think you just missed the perfect opportunity. And maybe you need to repent and be like, I need to do better at that. And you probably should. We all should do better. Because not do they know where you go to church. But are you about the word and the gospel by the life that you live? And Christians, we have just not done a good job about being good neighbors. Why? Because we're all selfish in nature. And I, that's why. And also, we don't want to show people the ragged edges of things. Why should we be good neighbors? Why? Because all people are, guess what? Image bearers of God. And yes, that even means Gator fans. They're image bearers of God as well. But really, though, are you friends with somebody of a different race? Like, truly friends? Or maybe the different political ideology. Do they know as the text says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Do they know that about you? If they don't, then apologize and tell them. But also repent and start living in your neighborhood as an outlet for the gospel. Because guys, as some of you know, like I talked about earlier, I had the great pleasure of pastoring a, I guess restarting a church in Bonifay, Florida, or Panama, Florida. And we were the one church that had to show up to everything. Why? Because we didn't have money to support things, so we had to show up and serve. And guess what? Our church grew and grew and grew. Even though the First Baptist Church down the street gossiped all about us, it continued to grow. Why? Because eventually everyone saw what we were really for. And it wasn't about Grace Church. It's about the gospel and his word. And I'm going to ask you a hard question. What do you think FBC is for? What have we been for? This is what I can tell you. 
I can tell you that that small church in Bonifay, Grace Church, has a big, bigger ministry footprint and sent more missionaries than we have in, in five years than we have in a hundred. Why is this? I believe we lost sight of our calling and did plenty of things for the gospel, but what do we actually build that impacts the kingdom of God? The repetition we have earned is not because we were making a gospel impact. But guess what? I think today, if the families that we have left will obey and be mobilized, they'll be about the gospel and his kingdom. God will continue to use us to build his kingdom. There's a few things coming up, small things that you can be involved in. One of those is trunk or treat. It's a small way for us to live on our community to bring people in, to show them we're about them. We're for them. We're also for Jesus. So decorate your trunk. Come and give candy. We're also doing Thanksgiving baskets again this year. And there's another more practical way to love on a good neighborhood than providing families that really need it a true Thanksgiving meal where they can be around the table and you can point them towards the one that created the table and the one that created the food and created the church for them even though they don't know it yet. So come and be a part of that. So what do we do to continue this impact? Take your family and use it as an outpost for the gospel. I'll tell you a story about a man named Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter was a minister. He started pastoring in a town of Kidderminster, England over some 300 years ago. At the time, the town was of some 800 homes and 2,000 people. And when he arrived, he noted that they were an ignorant, rude, and reviling people. But as he sought to teach God's words for some over 50 years there, the change was noticeable. He says, when I first entered upon my labors in the ministry, I took special notice of everyone that was humbled, reformed, or converted. When I had labored long, it pleased God that the converts were so many that I could not afford time for such observations. The congregation was usually filled the church and was probably around a thousand people at the time. So much so that they had to build five galleries to hold them all. And after coming thither, the private groups, or small groups as we call them, were full. On the Lord's day, there was no disorder to be seen in the streets. But you might hear a hundred families singing psalms or repeating sermons as you passed through the streets. In a word, when I can can't tither that first, there was about one family in the street that worshipped God and called him his name. And when I came away, some 50 years later, there were some streets where there wasn't one family on the street that did not do so. And that did not, by professing serious godliness, gives us hope of their sincerity. So guess what happens? When you take the gospel and let it impact your family, and let it impact the generations that come from your family, it makes a difference. What was Baxter's, what was his tactic? It was simple. In addition to consistent preaching of the gospel, he pointed people to Christ, but he also encouraged and instructed families to integrate the gospel in their own lives. He taught them to talk about God's word when they sat, walked, lay down, and when they got up. So if we're in Deuteronomy, if you want to, hop back up at the very first there. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 3. Let's, read, let's look at Grace commandment together. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, 
you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you, in a land of flowing of milk and honey. That's what we leave a legacy for. It's been left to us. So what should we do? Parents, let's stay committed to God's word. His spirit and our roles as God designed them to be. And let's make an impact because it's all about legacy and, and what we leave behind. This, this kid's song tells us, and I'm going to close it out with that. It says this. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E.